Well, a couple things to know about me. I do actually believe that when God speaks, his word is deeply involved. And so in a bit, we are going to be in Psalm 19. And when we read it together, I'm going to ask for us to stand. I don't know if that's typical practice for you guys. It's actually not for us, but it's kind of a long one. And I'm standing. I figured you guys could stand with me. What you're going to do, if, if you experience this next series the way that our church experienced it, we went through at the beginning of 2021 when, as you know, for different reasons, nation was kind of in some upheaval. And what we found is that focusing on God as a creator wasn't purely academic for us. We learned some things. And uh, I'm no astronomer, but we're going to look at things that, that have some sort of astronomical kind of foundations But more than just learning truths or more than recounting things about what God did, it was the way that these psalms for us functioned. They they reminded us that the creator and the sustainer of, of everything that he made actually cares about us. And when you put those two things together, God's power and his love, they become profoundly more kind of They amplify both truths together. So when we see how much God has done, what it took for him to make everything, and then to realize he actually cared about the way that I spent yesterday. He cares about what I've worried about and why I can't sleep at night. It it amplifies for me his great love. One of the Psalms, I don't think, you guys aren't going to do 33, right? But uh, you've got 34 up here, so you were close. Um, Now, this one was really important to us. Listen to just the way that this kind of functioned. In Psalm 33, we read, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He gathers waters. He stores the deeps and and storehouses. And, And then at the end of the psalm, it doesn't just say, okay, so that's it. It says, okay, so fear him and not leaders of the world, which is timely encouragement today, isn't it? Trust him, especially when you're in danger. Wait for him. See, I think almost every time that God is referenced as the creator, it's so that this knowledge makes a difference in our lives. The the people of God have been in trouble throughout the years. And that reality, though, it, it even affected what we've sung today, right? Who held the oceans in his hand? Who numbers every grain of sand? So what happens? Well, kings and then nations are trembling. All of creation is rising to rejoice. We sing that Jesus is the fairest. He's the ruler of all nature and the ruler of all the nations, which should function today. And he shines brighter than all of it. A hymn I just learned, and when Joe told me we were going to do it, I put it on Spotify so I could sing it along with you guys. Thou whose almighty word chaos and darkness heard and took their flight, oh, that's cool, so what? Well, then hear us, we humbly pray. The fact is that the God who speaks and who by his word created also listens. That's amazing to us. He cares. He provides. So when the prophets are speaking to Israel, we hear, who measures the waters? Who stands above the earth so that we look like bugs? Who taught God to do all this? Nobody, right, right? So then why would you possibly think that your cause is disregarded by the one who could do all that? If he could handle all the problems of the universe, can't you trust him with your tiny problems in comparison? It's why Job puts his hand over his mouth at the end of the book whenever God stands up and says, 
uh, yeah, you would never even think to touch some of the things that I've made and created playgrounds for. If you touched them, you would be overwhelmed. So Job, the sufferings of your life, you okay? Yeah, so sorry. It's the way the prophets function. It's the way that Jesus talks to us when we're anxious. He says, God's, God's taking care of birds. And in this case, then you're more important than they are. So you'll be all right. I really do hope, and I'll be praying for you guys um, as you make your way through this series, that especially with the, all the things that feel chaotic right now, that, that this, this series will kind of have the same effect for you. And that's why we're going to stand as I read Psalm 19 for you. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the earth, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So who can discern his errors? Declare me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And we pray together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's take your seats. Now, in our, little, in our little church, we recently moved into a building, but we needed to do some work. And one of the last things that we were doing was setting up a little area where people could uh, check in when they were going to walk back to our children's ministry. And so we got a few cabinets from Ikea. And I being, uh, you know, at least a self-proclaimed handyman, um, decided that I was going to assemble these cabinets and I was going to uh, install them. No big deal, right? I think we actually have a picture of what this cabinet was supposed to be. There it is. Two doors, a shelf, four sides, and a back. I've built cabinets before. This thing wasn't going to be tough. And I'm a guy, so what did I do? I opened up the box, threw the directions away, and figured, I can work this thing out. Now, how many of you have ever assembled Ikea kind of cabinets? Yeah. Here's what the directions look like. There's another one that kind of... There were no nails. There were plastic clips that were supposed to go together. And what I did in putting together this cabinet in the beginning, I did not take a picture of it because 
I want you to respect me at least a little bit as we continue to move on here. I needed to undo everything that I had done before I could actually figure out how this thing was supposed to go together. You see, I thought I saw how this was supposed to go, and I thought I knew what I needed to do, but there's just so much of life that really repeats that error, isn't there? When we look around our world and when we open up God's word and we understand the way that we're supposed to function in this world that he's made, we see that we as people, God's image bearers, those who were supposed to kind of represent God in this physical realm, we're supposed to exercise dominion over creation. We're supposed to be the caretakers. How, how are we doing with that? Bring that up and you will find people fighting over different aspects of what it means. Should we be limited? Should we have unlimited power? We can't, we can't figure it out as humans, can we? Why not? Or we realize that when we get together as people, God formed us not to be individuals all out there. He puts us into different groups. So families and societies and governments and how's that going for us? Kind of well, but at other points, not well at all. It seems like we should know how to do some of this stuff, but at the end of the day, what we make a mess of the planet. We make a mess of our relationships. And I hope the analogy kind of makes sense. We're people who are similar, right? And yet we're so diverse. And we can't figure out, are we supposed to flock to people that are just like us? How are we supposed to treat people that are different? What are we supposed to say that when somebody offends me, should I assume that God is offended by that as well? We, we get all mixed up. And I think that this Ikea thing sort of represents it. Because had I just humbled myself in the beginning and said that those who made this have explained how it should be put together and how it works best, I wouldn't have scratches all over my cabinets. I wouldn't have spots that there are like holes that have been ripped out and pieces of the stuff that, that well, you know, we can try to hide it as best we can. But why is it that everything in this life seems so broken? I think Psalm 19 addresses it. I think this series is going to address it for you. So what Psalm 19 wants us to understand is that the one who made us speaks to us today. The one who, by his word, put everything into existence, who made all of this and who made us, sadly has been ignored by us. We've done with his directions, we've done with his communication, exactly what I did with Ikea's. And when we look around, we sometimes wonder, do we just need to throw this whole thing in the bin and start over? That has just not been God's plan, has it? If I let you guys come up and just kind of one by one talk about some of the ways that you're encountering the mess of life right now, my guess is we could spend a lot of time. We know how to pray for each other a little bit better. And I imagine that's part of what you guys do when you gather together into small groups is you share things with people you can trust and you find ways that other people can relate to how difficult it is sometimes. But you don't just try to relate to each other. You don't just try to give your own brand of empathy to each other. What we ultimately do as believers, right, is to be able to say God hasn't left us in this place. 
And he wants to redeem the situations that we're in. We look at the solutions that the world offers and we realize they are half-baked at best. Or as uh, brother who, who prayed this, I, I loved your words, remnants though distorted. We see ways that God is influencing the world and yet we see the way that, that our communities around have distorted God's word and he's not going to leave us alone. It's part of what we do every time we gather is to remember the good news that the God who makes us speaks to us and is redeeming us today. We're going to look at three voices that kind of show up in Psalm 19. The first one is the one that we've been focusing on primarily, and that's the voice of creation. Look again at at verses 1 through 6 with me. And just here in the very beginning, God put everything into existence by speaking it into existence, and the very stuff that he made echoes his voice and says he's beautiful he's creative he's enormous the heavens are speaking according to verse one the heavens declare the glory of god the sky proclaims his handiwork day is pouring out speech night is revealing knowledge that is david's way going back to his time as a shepherd looking up into the stars with no electronic light around him, maybe some lights of some fires, but seeing the night sky and looking up and saying, this is impressive, but it's as impressive as an echo of the words of the one who made it. So when I see and I stare up into the heavens, I hear something. When I look at the sky, I'm listening as well because the heavens are declaring something. The sky is proclaiming something. And yet we ignore the creator. If that's the problem, what is the solution? Well, the first part of the solution is what God did eons ago. He made something that continues to speak. He has set stars in the heavens and they make statements about God. And the more we think about and understand what God has put up into the night sky, the first thing we have to be amazed about is that that's beautiful because God's beautiful. I've got a a couple pictures. I am no astronomer. I googled these. You can find them yourself. One thing we did as a church was to, um, we watched a video of a time lapse of a photographer who just set up a, uh, a camera, fixed it in one spot, and let the night sky kind of rotate in front of it. It was amazing stuff. You could Google the same things that I have. But this, this first picture is something I've never seen. All of these were shot by the Hubble telescope, which, as we're hearing, right, is now dated but I've never seen anything like what it can capture. This is apparently uh, the end of the life cycle of a star. It's apparently something called the Helix Nebula, and it shows sort of the, the end of an aging star. The colors that are radiating out from it sort of speak about its, its life cycle. The next one, I've never seen anything like this as well, but these are called the Mountains of Creation. They're named that way somewhat because of the mountain it's sort of shape. 
that's, that's put up there, but also because this is sort of the beginnings of a star. It's, these are a couple stars in their, their early sort of life cycle. This last one is the one that amazed me, though, because when I go up into the night sky, if I'm trying to impress my kids, I say, hey, let's find the Big Dipper. We can see the Big Dipper from my house. We've got a pretty good night. We can find the North Star off of that. We get the Little Dipper. But if we can find Orion's belt, we've got a particularly nice... This is Orion, guys. That is a picture from the Hubble telescope of what it looks like to peer into one little portion of Orion's belt. We look at images like this. Or if... I'm going to betray my poor movie taste here, I'm sure. But one of my favorite movies is a movie called Joe vs. the Volcano. It's literally about a guy who needs to jump into a volcano. There's other stuff that happens. But in the process of trying to get out to the island where Tom Hanks, there we go, it's a Tom Hanks movie, is going to jump into this volcano. He gets shipwrecked and he's out on a raft. And at one point in uh, the night, the moon begins to rise up. And it's, you know, it's artistic. But Joe gets up off the raft and seeing this moon in front of him, he just stands and kind of shakingly puts his hands up and says, oh God, thank you for my life. I had no idea how big. There's something about the beauty and the scope of who God is that gets reflected in what he made. Verse 3 then sort of says it in the extremes, 3 and 4. And the negative says there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And then to say it in the positive, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, if you've ever parented and some of your kids ever seem to speak in extremes, he always, you never, one of the first things you do is help kids back off from their extreme language, right? We're not doing that, though, with David. Come on, David. Is there really nowhere on the earth that we, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. The entire ends of the planet are being spoken to by what God made through his creation. It happens at night, and it happens during the day. In fact, that's where he goes. He goes to kind of our closest star, the sun, right? He begins to talk about the sun, which comes up in the morning, and David's kind of comparing it to everybody at a wedding feast waiting for the arrival. We wait for the bride, but, but in their day, you'd wait for the bridegroom to arrive. And when the bridegroom would arrive, man, then the party starts. That's the way David's saying it feels like when, whenever the sun comes up. The sun never gets tired. What it does all day long is like a strong man running its course with joy. And its rising then is from the ends of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. The sun is amazingly impressive and David as a shepherd knows that the sun's impressive because of the way he experiences it right but we know a little bit more than David don't we just like if David were to look up into the sky and see these kinds of images it's an interesting graphic 
Now what these are are called gravity wells. A guy made this little diagram. And what each of these little valleys is supposed to represent is what it would take to jump off of a planet or throw a ball off of a planet or launch a rocket off of a planet. The bigger and more impressive that one of these, you know, heavenly bodies is, so the little divots you see are just kind of tiny moons. You see Saturn sort of is about as wide as Jupiter, but Jupiter has far more sort of density to it, and so its well is way deeper. So if you were going to try and get off of any one of these, Saturn would be difficult. Jupiter would be particularly difficult. As he did, he, you know, some of the little ones that he has up there, you could actually probably throw a football off of them. They're just, they're not that significant. They don't have that much gravity, and so their gravity well is very tiny. Look at the next slide. Everything we looked at on the first slide, if you put a little arrow on it and pointed to it, that's happening in that little tiny space. You ever see Apollo 13? We had trouble getting to the moon. We're going to use the moon's gravity to slingshot us back. How are we going to fix things out? All of those kinds of accomplishments, they're happening on the tip of that arrow. How are we going to get a rocket off the moon? We can bring one retractably back to the earth. Oh, that's impressive stuff. But all of that is happening in that little tip of an arrow. And the sun, it makes everything else seem insignificant in comparison. The sun's impressive in its heat, but it's impressive in its gravity as well. Everything in our solar system finds its identity because of how it relates to the gravity of the sun. Try to fight against it, doesn't matter. The sun exists, and therefore you have to deal with its gravity. Do you hear any analogies about God in that? We do. That's because the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We hear about God's beauty. We hear about his enormity, kind of in the way that the sun just sort of dominates everything in our solar system. In fact, if if I were to take the sun and and we were to think of it as something I could hold here, do we have anybody in the back row, maybe with a pen? Anybody got one? There we go. We got a pen back there. The tip of your pen, that's the earth. This, the sun. And if we tried to think of it this way, that'd be about 93 million miles. So I don't need you to hold your pen up anymore. We got a general sense of it. And I don't have a grapefruit, so, you know, we're good to go. But a grapefruit, about 50 feet, point of a pen, sun to the earth. 93 million miles. Astronomers used to call that an astronomical unit because that was sort of how we knew to measure things until we realized that 93 million miles as a unit of measure was going to be ridiculously insufficient because space is big. It's really, really big. And so we don't use a unit of measure how far it is from the earth to the sun anymore. We talk about light years. If light goes 186 
thousand miles in a second, then how far does it go in a year? And if you were to leave the sun and go to the next star closest to us, you'd have to travel at that speed for four years. The last of the star images that I had there gives a little bit of a sense of scope of this. When we look up into the sky, we think we see stars. More often than not, what we really see are galaxies. In fact, we have no idea what we're going to find out through the next telescope that is still being assembled. If you track any of that stuff with the Webb Space Telescope that's being put together, they're focusing all the mirrors that they kind of created at one spot. Now they've got a sense of how they're going to have it all focused down. If it works and it can peer way further out than Hubble can, it's going to use infrared light in order to be able to tell us stuff we couldn't even comprehend at this point. But if we just wanted to have our minds blown, this image is what you would see if you got a seven-foot straw and stared through it into one bit of space. That's what Hubble sees. Space is big. Stars are numerous. In fact, it would have been way back in the day, kind of around the time when this psalm was written, that if you were to try and guess how many stars you'd come up with, you might have been able to do something like the Roman astronomer Ptolemy did, where he guessed about 3,000 because that's what he could count with his naked eye. That, that's, that was a fair guess. He was just off a little bit. Because the current guess is 50 billion trillion. And if you've ever tried to work with a kid who's talking about like sort of our economy and he makes that billion trillion difference, you, you know how that works? I read an article once that said we should stop talking about things in trillions. We should talk about it as thousand billions. Because if you think of what we're really doing, right, when we talk about these numbers, anybody want to take time to count to a thousand? All right. Now do that a thousand times and you're only at a million. Now back, start again, do that a thousand times and you're at a billion, and suddenly, can you guys even picture trillion? But 50 billion trillion stars is a 50 with 15 zeros behind it, which means we're talking about an incomprehensible number. Space is big. And all of it is saying God made this, so who's bigger? If the universe is expanding, and if our distances have already just kind of eclipsed our ability to understand it, we have to ask this question. How do we know this? We know this because God isn't just beautiful like the stars are. He isn't just enormous like the stars and like the universe is. It's that he's also incredibly creative and kind. We live at the, what you might call, Goldilocks portion of the universe. If we lived anywhere differently, if the earth was set differently, if our Milky Way galaxy was shaped differently and we were at a different spot 
in that we wouldn't be able to see hardly anything that we can see in the universe. And yet God has given us not just the ability to see all of this, he's also creatively given us the ability to exist within it. There's an interesting kind of principle that's been sort of discovered really over these last 30 years. It's been called the anthropic principle, and it's a name given to a a topic called fine-tuning. Now, I assume you guys have a soundboard here. Somebody's probably back there with the soundboard. Well done, brother. You are doing a great job. Here's one thing that I've noticed about sound men, uh, or women, sorry, I'm trying to, you know, be that way. Different people have different opinions on what sound should sound like, don't they? I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that, somebody coming and asking, hey, could you turn this up or this down? Why? Because soundboards are a matter of preference, right? You might want a little bit of bass. You might want a little bit of treble. You might want more of the speaker. You might want less. Uh, That's not the way that we're thinking about fine-tuning in the universe. Imagine if you got one of your dials wrong just one of them a little bit wrong, and the result would be that all sound disappears. And that what you had were a hundred little, you know, kind of marks on every one of those. They used to think that there were like 15 of those. Now that they know there are at least over 500. 500 settings that need to be exactly right in order for life to exist, really for the universe to function. Some of these are constant, like the values of gravity or electromagnetic and strong and weak uh, nuclear forces. Some of them are just sort of quality or quantities, like the way that protons and neutrons and electrons work at the subatomic level in order for everything to exist within the universe. All of these things on the universe's soundboard have to be set exactly right so that we can exist in this realm that God's made. The heavens are declaring the beautiful glory of God. They're declaring the immense glory of God. And they are declaring the creative glory glory of God. So that we've got this habitable zone that's not too hot, too cold. We're at just the right distance, at just the right zone, in just the right galaxy, on just the, around just the right star, with just the right moon, and just the right mix of planets in this solar system so that we can be alive and we can peer out into the universe and see everything else God made. Amen, indeed. He went to a lot of of work through what he created so that everyone, according to Romans 1, would be without excuse. And if we're kind of impressed by this little bit that we know, listen to Fred Hoyle or Paul Davies. These are atheists and agnostics. Astrophysicists, But they said, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics, as well as with chemistry and biology, and he goes on to make this point. Paul Davies says, it seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. 
But you notice that I'm not quoting Christians. I'm not quoting believers. Because though the universe is speaking to these men in ways that, and they are listening with ears far better tuned than ours are, they don't believe. A man named Robert Jaffrow, who worked for NASA and who was agnostic, said the following, and I, I love the picture that he creates. He says, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, this story ends like a bad dream. He scaled the mountains of ignorance, and he is about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. It's a, it's a humble admission for a man whose heart is hardened towards God. Because he's saying, these Christians have been saying for a long time that God made this stuff. And we may look back in David and say, oh, poor David, how little he knew of the universe. But with the little David knew, he was impressed at the beauty and the scope and the creativity of God. He was saying, these heavens declare the glory of God. We knew so much more than David does, and apparently knowledge isn't enough. Now, if Joe represents the members who are here, I'll, I'll represent the visitors. And let me just speak to you for a sec. I recognize that nothing I've presented so far as illustrations in this passage is overwhelmingly convincing. See, that's just not the way it works. When God has rescued every one of us, he hasn't just presented information, and that information becomes so compelling that an unbeliever becomes a believer. God works in very different ways, but he still uses truth. So let me say this. If you've been around Christianity for a while, if you've been around this church for a while, somebody's kind of brought you and invited you, and you're still trying to figure this out, you're asking questions about whether this God exists, I'm not trying to persuade you of anything other than what the universe has been saying for thousands of years. God is beautiful, God is big, and God is creative. And I'd say this then as well. This psalm doesn't end here. Now, Joe, maybe to uh, your chagrin, told me I didn't have to worry about time, so I haven't looked at a clock once. But it's noon now. Is that right? That's not daylight savings time, is it? Yeah. All right. Let me make my final two points a little more briefly. Because we preachers work in threes, and when I said beautiful and big and creative, you were like, finally, he's at the third point. That was one C. Because <laughs> we're only at verse six. But let me remind you of the main point. The God who made you speaks, but he speaks a lot more profoundly than just using creation. Let me tell you a better way that he speaks, and it starts in verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord 
are true. What are we talking about? We're talking about why Tri-County is a Bible church. If you think that it's weird that Christians believe that God made all this rather than it coming out of chance, I'd say I think we're actually in the driver's seat logically on that point. But I don't mind if you ask questions about the Bible because it is also very weird that we think that this God who made everything actually has communicated exactly what he wants us to know through a book that was completed 2,000 years ago, roughly. But that's what we believe. We believe that this God who put all this energy into telling us some sort of broad things about him also wanted us to know some very detailed things about his story, his love, and his nature. And that's what all the nouns are at the beginnings of verses 7, 8, and 9. The law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, and rules of the Lord all refer to what we think of as objective truth that God has communicated about himself. No book has been more thoroughly scrutinized than the Bible, and it stood the test of evaluation for thousands of years. It's still here. I think we can all agree that when the Bible's open, the Spirit of God is speaking. Because the God who made you still speaks to you. And more amazing than God's general revelation of his beauty and splendor and power and creativity and incomprehensible size is this soul-stirring truth. He wants to know you personally and he loves you dearly. And so what his law and testimony and precepts and commandments and fear and rules do is they revive and they make us wise and they enlighten and they endure and they're true and they're righteous. And isn't that what you want? Where you differ from those standards, isn't that where you want to repent and where you want to come back? And don't the cravings of your heart absolutely line up with what he says God's word can do because of what it is. It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. And it's true. The God who made all this stuff is speaking to you. Not just every week, when his word is opened here or when his word is sung here, but he has put us at a place in time where we probably have between five and ten copies of it available to us at home. If you have a phone, it's on your phone or could be. And who, if they longed for their lover, would be satisfied with a picture And yet I've heard so many say, oh, I meet God in nature better than I meet him in the Bible. And I'm like, man, you haven't read the Bible. Because nowhere am I revived and given wisdom. Nothing can I rejoice in. Nothing enlightens my eyes more than what I find out about God when I open up his word. You see, it's not just the voice of the stars, it's the voice of the scriptures that tells us. Because frankly, other than this, what do you do when you've failed? What do you do when you, like Joe, measure yourself against the God of creation and you say, I just 
I'm amazed at how big, and then correspondingly realize, oh my goodness, I'm amazed at how small. Or when you see him and you say, I'm amazed at how pure and how true you are, and then have to come back and ask the question of how impure and how untrue we still are. At that moment, are you sure you want the only thing God has said to be something he spoke through the Son? Do you only want to hear from a God who is capable of making something at incomprehensible distances from us? Or wouldn't you rather hear that he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities? Why? And hear this analogy then in light of everything we've just said. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, and not just the sun, and not just Alpha Centauri, but what is increasingly expanding away from us at incomprehensible distances, as high as those heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Why would we not combine these two? What we've learned from the heavens and what we read in his word and just let this God speak to us. Yes, his power is terrifying, but the gospel is so comforting. And if we do that, then our voice gets to join into the psalm. It's where David ends. Listen to him in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? So of all my faults that are hidden from me, I can't fix them. I didn't even make the moon. But if you made all those stars, then you can declare me innocent. And if you love me this way, then not only would you forgive me as the all-seeing judge, but you could also release me as the all-powerful Savior so you could keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Not just the hidden ones, but the ones I do that everybody else knows about. God, you could actually restrain that in me because if you can make that, you can work here. I mean, if you, God, are this powerful, then please don't let them have any power or dominion over me. And then what? then I'd be blameless. Then for this brief moment, I feel like I could stand in your presence and not have to be as terrified as everybody who's come before you, like Peter, when he met Jesus, and he realizes this man made all those fish jump into my net. Get away from me, because I am just sinful, and you clearly aren't. But if God could do this work in you, then you wouldn't have to flee from him. If God could do this kind of powerful, potent work inside you, you could actually run to this God of the universe and before him be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then our prayer would be so simple, wouldn't it? Would you just let the words of my mouth stuff everybody's aware of and the meditation of my heart, the stuff I'm deeply aware of? Would you just let all of that be acceptable in your sight? Because if you can do everything, I know you can see everything. You made every rock. So, O oh Lord, be my rock. And be my redeemer. I'm talking about all that hypothetically. I want to promise to you that it is not hypothetical. And here's how I know it. It's the passage that we read together from Hebrews. 
Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this Jesus was sent for you. That's why I know it's not hypothetical. Because at a moment in history, the God of the universe entered his creation so he could die for it and redeem it. And you can be part of that. I know nothing more beautiful than that story. I know nothing more expansive than his love. And I know nothing more complex or creative than the narrative that Jesus came to die for me who day by day proves my need, but who day by day is grateful that there's a bigger Savior than my sin. Joe and I were talking about how to end this, and I think he meant half an hour ago. But the song that we talked about, I think is the song we're going to sing, and if I can introduce it, I will. I love this song. It's from some of my friends in Sovereign Grace Ministries. I'll just read two verses to you and then I'll close. This spinning world by your own hand hurls ever onward around the sun. The seasons march at your command, the old departs and the new year comes. And though celestial is your gaze, you search and you care for all my ways. And so we offer up to you this day and all of our tomorrows. And the echoes of the conversations Joe and I have had over the years, hands to the plow, we're pressing on and running hard to win the prize, empowered by the love of God with grace before and grace behind. For lo, what hope before us stands? You finish all that you began. Eternal joy is in your hands and all of our tomorrows. Father, we offer up ourselves to you. You made us, we belong to you. And whether we've been in rebellion against you, whether we've realized your salvation from that rebellion, we're all more clearly aware that we are accountable to you and we're saved only by your grace. So we pray, God of the universe, care for us this day and every day to come. In Jesus' name, amen.